Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Coming up on episode 65 of the Hang Time podcast, ESPN.com's Kate Fagan drops by to discuss the Sixers' fast start. NBA.com's John Schumann talks about the recent NBA GM survey and the finalists for the U.S. Olympic team. All that, plus Shaq and Charles argue about the best big man in the NBA on... Welcome this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Houston Rockets head coach Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans, Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball, Richard Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of The Nation, Dave Zyron. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip-off. Good afternoon, good morning, Yo. wherever you are. Seku Smith from the Hangtime blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, my co-host, live from New York. Micah Hart, Jarrell in there in the booth, handling all the controls. Lang, how are you, my man? Feels like a laid-back version of the Hangtime podcast today. Um, well, I've, I've been getting pounded today. Um, I made the mistake of... Uh, you know, mentioning Kobe and Michael Jordan in the same blog post. So, uh, yeah, I unleashed the hordes on myself today. Um, the point of what I was saying was just that, you know, this idea that, that Kobe and Jordan are always being compared to each other or that they have to qualify who is on their level in any way. I just, I'm just, I think it's a, an irrelevant argument when you're that good, when you're on the Mount Rushmore of, of basketball, you shouldn't even entertain the discussion. But isn't that what got you that good? Caring? Where, where you, not necessarily. You know? Not necessarily. Because I think you can care about it, but you don't have to talk about it. You know, my thing is, you know, you don't ever see an interview where Bill Russell is going on and on about who's on his level and, you know, this dude measures up to me, this dude doesn't. Magic doesn't do that. You know, and if he – and everybody could if they wanted to sit around and do it. But the point – it was a, you know, the point I was making was just that, you know, when you're that good, you don't have to sit around worrying about it. And history will – you know, history will tell the story. And uh, the fans are telling me their story, and that <laughs> I think I think I think the fans care more about it than they do. Yes, I do too. But I think Kobe and Jordan are different, and I mentioned this in there that Kobe and Jordan are a little different. They care about it too, and they're not afraid to to let fly about it, which is what set it is what sets those two guys specifically apart. I think. Yeah, is that they yeah. had that kind of competitiveness. Um, but yeah, you I'll just tell you, be careful in 2012 poking the uh the two sacred <laughs> bears of, of nba fandom baby you don't talk about kobe and jordan at the same time and especially you know be anywhere you know critical of them in any way without uh drawing the ire of a lot of people but just glad you didn't mention lebron the internet might have blown up i didn't even mention lebron's name in the post on purpose because i said if i mentioned lebron in there you know my armageddon <laughs> baby It'll be- i was wondering i was wondering why wikipedia shut down yeah. today <laughs> Now I know. <laughs> no question. But uh, another week, another another exciting episode here of the Hang Time Podcast. Glad everybody made it in here in one piece. Uh, Lang, uh, did you watch the the monster lineup of Martin Luther King Junior Day games that were going on around the league? I'm assuming you did. Yeah, I did. Um, I watched all of them, actually. Um, not sure what my favorite game was. Probably the Hawks, just because that's my team. Um, and I think didn't you just come from a uh, come from a uh, practice? I came from a shoot around, which uh, you you may remember those. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, I went to shoot around to uh, catch up with some people we know. Um, you know, Jamal Crawford was uh, is in town here in Atlanta uh, for his first trip back since leaving the Hawks and joining the 
Portland Trailblazers. So I, I tried to catch up with Jamal as best I could and uh, talk with him and uh, kind of get a get a close-up view of the Trailblazers. Uh, been watching them this season and enjoying them and uh, wanted to check them out. Yeah. And the the Blazers have uh, – do you think they're the most – well, no. I would say they're one of the, like, two most surprising teams in the West. Uh, early on, I think, you know, them they in, were – Them in Utah? Yeah, early on, I think they were. Yeah. But, uh, you know, to me, the most surprising team – I wrote about them earlier this week – is the uh, is a team in, in Philadelphia. And, uh, you know, the, to me, the, what they got going on there is uh, is truly something to – behold for you know for a young team because you know as you know Lane, they don't often uh play as well as you know when you got a young core like that or a re- reasonably young core they don't often play it you know as well at this stage of the game but i think they got some special things going on there um and that leads us to our first guest on the podcast this week um and and lang i know you know all about it from from reading the deep sixer blog on uh on, on philly.com and and I'm certainly a big fan. Kate Fagan is joining us now. And uh, um, <laughs> we've been checking out the Sixers this year. Obviously, you, you deal with them on a daily basis and uh, have, have kind of charted their growth here the last few years. What about them has surprised you? Everybody else around the country is talking about how surprised they are at them. What surprises you about the Sixers? You know, the thing, the thing that I've really noticed this year is how quickly they've responded in like that show points of maturity in the game I think their biggest flaw last year and the last couple of years really wasn't like depth and talent but it was they were such young guys and when the game got to that crucial point maybe they had a lead and then the game um, you know the other team got a little more focused they just they couldn't respond in those moments and they lost so many right. and this year when those moments come when it's you know seven minutes left and they have an eight point lead and it could go down to five and then three, and then tie. They, they just they respond and they push the lead back up to ten, thirteen. And you know, I, I think I credit a lot of that to, to Doug, Doug Collins, and and Iguodala has really stepped up and at least tried to be a voice. So there's some things happening in that team. Um, all good things. I think the ten and three is a little misleading because of the schedule and um, they're going right. to take some lumps. But but I'm really excited for for where they're going. I, Kate, I remember last year, I think when you were on the beat, we were talking about um, Evan Turner developing and, you know, he, he had a slow start and it started coming along as the season went along. Uh, I, I think he kind of speaks to the depth of that team. Is that one of the reasons you think that they are, they're able to, to put this – what do they have, like six guys averaging double figures right now? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely the depth. I mean, in – Obviously, it's, it's a great asset for Doug, but it's also a challenge. I know, right. I know Doug would love to give Evan thirty minutes a game, and he just he can't. He can't find that time for him because of he's got you know Sad Young, he's got Lou Williams, he's got Dre, he's got Drew Holiday. Um, I think I think in this shortened season and with all these back to backs men, back to back to back, the Sixers roster and the depth really are going to help them this year. But I often yeah. think you're going to see a little bit of a drawback in that some of these younger guys really should, you know, Sad Young and, and E.T. especially. I know Doug would love to give them even more minutes. So most of it's a good thing, but there are some things to keep an eye on in, in terms of E.T.'s growth. Kate Fagan, uh, formerly of the Deep Sixers blog, now a writer for ESPN, has joined us now on the Hang Time Podcast. Kate, I, I was a big fan of Drew Holiday's uh, – you know, when he came out in the draft, and I thought, you know, here's a young point guard that if he's kind of nurtured the right way at his size with his skill set, he had a chance to be a, you know, a special player in the NBA. Were there, were there any concerns early on with, you know, when when you get a guy that young in the league at such a crucial position that he, you know, he might have to go through some stumbles? Or did, did everybody in the organization, do you think, and the people that were watching him on a regular basis see this progress coming for him so soon? Well, I think it's sort of a two-part answer. I think the franchise itself is so ready and excited to try and make him the face of the franchise. Mm. Um, And I think with the new ownership and kind of with this new marketing campaign, they kind of want to rebrand the team. I think Drew 100% fits that mold. I do think, and in talking to everybody around him, and when you look at the X's and O's of his game, 
he's still a little ways away from being a true point guard who understands how to get, how to make Andre Iguodala better, how to mm-hmm. how to get shots for Jogi Meek. Um, so I mean, it's kind of it, it, like I said, it, 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 there's a couple different factors going going on with him. I know they want him so badly to be that top five point guard, and I think he's on his way. But I think you. Anybody who watches Sixers enough knows that they can see these moments where he's just making turnovers he shouldn't make. He's not managing the game correctly, but there's such an abundance of talent that I think the franchise is going to try and push him into that mold. Hmm. Yeah, Kate, you mentioned the new ownership and, and like the rebranding they're sort of going through. And Could you tell us a little bit more about, about that? I mean, do you, is part of this run by the Sixers at all tied to that? You know, a little more excitement around the team, a little more confidence with the team? Yeah, I don't know how much of the encore performance is. Right. Um, I would say, you know, I would say at least a slightly, at least a significant part in terms of enough that I think it's 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 worth talking about because the players in past seasons under the old ownership, you know, you you kind of knew that they were not the number one thing on that ownership plate. And that trickles down in terms of how your in-game atmosphere is and, and how you're viewed in the city. And this new ownership group, it's the only, obviously it's the only team they own, and right. they're building something that, that leads to a different in-game atmosphere, different fans, um, different people are coming to the game. They seem to be a little bit more passionate, a little bit more enthusiastic. So, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not sure if it's getting them wins right now, but I will say the guys seem to be really excited to be Philadelphia 76ers, and I don't think I could have said that two, three years ago. Kate, what's it been like watching the kind of the change in in culture for the fans, um, going from having a team, you know, that they maybe weren't as excited about to now where, you know, you get that national buzz about a team, and it's, it always seems to stoke, you know, the, the fires for the, for the local fans. I mean, what's that, what's that atmosphere like now in Philly? I think people are not yet really catching on to this team in Philly. I think there's a buzz coming, and I think if they pick up some significant wins, you know, if they can beat they can beat Denver and and pick up a win against Miami. I think you'll see the city of Philadelphia really, really start to talk about this team. What, what it seems to be right now is the loyal fans. Um, the ones who have been Sixers fans are trying to get everybody on the bandwagon. They feel it. They know it. Um, they can see that things have changed, and I think it's going to take, you know, that more sustained national buzz before we see the Wells Fargo Center um, really jump in attendance. I think it's there. And I think it's going to happen, um, but it's definitely in the in the groundwork stages right now. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier Andre Guadal is trying to trying to be a voice in that locker room. And um, can you just tell us a little bit about you know his maturation the last couple of years, or, or him stepping up to, to to kind of become that leader? Is that something the Sixers needed? And, and does it seem like a fit for him? Yeah, they they need him to be a leader because they've really had a voice since Iverson last. Now I guess you can debate whether Iverson was a leader or not, but you know, he was the star power, and right. he was the culture of the team, and they didn't have a culture for a few years. So in that way, Iguodala is more important um, than I think the average fan um, gives him credit for in terms of his leadership and his voice. I think I think why I think this new ownership is, is helping, at least in small part, is because their building something that makes even Dre, you know, want to stay in Philly. And that's hard because people in Philly are really, really hard on Andre Iguodala. And I think that's reflected in how he communicates with his with the guys, how he responds. I know he responded really well after they lost to the Knicks on the third night of three games in a row. You wouldn't have seen that from him in past years because he would have been really quick to um, get down about being in Philly. But he feels like this team is different and – they really have a chance to do something special, and I don't mean win a championship, but I mean you know win a playoff series, um, get some momentum going. So 
his demeanor is so important. It's not even if he says anything. It's just how he looks on the court really impacts the team. Kate, one last thing before we let you get out of here, Kate, and we're being uh, joined by Kate Fagan of ESPN right now here on the Hangtime Podcast. Doug Collins is a guy who's obviously had a, a wealth of experience coaching around the league. Were you convinced when his name came up and when he got that job that he would be able to come in and push the right buttons with this group, or were you skeptical at all that, that he would be the, the right fit for that team? I was convinced that he was the right fit for at least two years. I wasn't convinced that he was the right fit for five years and six years. Right. Um, and that's what's changed in how I view him. I think with what happened with Eddie Jordan, Doug Collins was the absolute perfect coach to come in that next year. But I think it was going to be him needing to prove that he had matured and he would know how to handle young players in over multiple seasons as opposed to just getting innovative and turning things around quickly. That's one skill. And then the next skill is being able to step back a little bit, let them do the things that he had taught them, um, let them take ownership of practices of games and not constantly being on them. And that was the thing I wasn't sure he was going to be able to do because he has had a history of wearing out his welcome. And he's proved, you know, every whenever I talk to him, even this season, how much ownership he's turned over to his team is going to, allow his his voice and to be heard longer because they're not going to tune it out so quickly. So mm-hmm. um, I, you really can't overstate the value of Doug Collins for what has happened with this team because he's he's sort of he's been the gas in their in their tank and the ability to make each guy believe in himself. So um, I sound like a cliche here, but he he really sometimes coaches aren't as crucial to a team's success because there's so much talent. Mm-hmm. But the Sixers have such a unique group of talent um, that it it needed just the right touch. And up to this point, Collins has done just that. No doubt about it. Well, Kate Fagan, we appreciate you joining us, Kate. And, uh, uh, you know, certainly going to look forward to reading all your stuff at ESPN and uh, certainly enjoyed everything you did. Uh, on the Deep Sixers blog and at philly.com. So enjoy this season, and we'll hopefully see you down the road. Okay, great. I will uh, talk to you guys later. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Karen. I thought uh, Lang, her her take on Collins was, was pretty interesting, only because there were a lot, you know, there's always been this kind of conflicted camp about Doug Collins. You know, some people who, I've had one GM in the league tell me that they thought he was the best teacher of basketball that they'd come across in all their, you know, in all their years in the league. And this is a guy who's been around for, you know, um, I don't, I don't know, 35 years, 34 years now. And then I've had other people who told me that he just, he had a way, you know, and they, they'd witnessed him in Washington and kind of seen how things went with Kwame Brown. They just felt like, Ooh, this is a tough one to throw on young players, you know, right. on young guys. But I got to admit, he's done I mean, he's, he seems to have done a fantastic job. You know, with that team and with that particular group of young talent, you know, and I think Holiday, Evan Turner, Thaddeus Young, Lou Williams, a lot of those guys I would toss into that mix, even though some of them been in the league for a long time. They're still young guys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think you you got to show a coach some love when he's able to go in there and, and turn the culture around as quickly as he did. I agree, and I wonder how much of that – I mean, if we talk about – a coach teaching young guys, how much of that is a coach learning from previous places and picking up what worked, what didn't work, like say in Washington or right. or in Chicago when he was there or other places, you know, I, I think when we also listened to him, when he was on TNT, uh, nobody at the time or even now probably explained stuff as well right. as he did. You know, he always talked about matchups and uh, how this play would work. And, and he seemed like a teacher, while he was announcing, it reminded me a little bit of like Hubie Brown, the way he is, or uh, Jack Ramsey when he's announcing. Um, and from that standpoint, I think you can see why Doug Collins would be a fun guy to play for if you're trying to learn the game, that standpoint. But I agree with you that there's it's all it's a balance. It's a balancing act, and you have to be able to keep guys invested and, and tuned in without making them tune out. And it's it's a hard it's a hard thing to do. You know, you see coaches kind of come in and out, and uh, I think that's that's the hard part is keeping them invested without 
getting them angry enough to where <laughs> they, they, they don't they don't care what you say. Yeah, and I was talking about this with some uh, some players in the locker room the other day, and, and one former player, I saw Anthony Johnson. I don't know, if, I don't even know if either of you guys knew this. Anthony Johnson is is kind of working in in some sort of coaching capacity with the Hawks, not as a nice as a paid coach, but just uh, I was cutting through the locker room uh, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I saw him, and I and I kind of did a double take, and I was like, what the I was like, did they sign you? You know, and he was like, no. <laughs> he was like, no, man. He's like, I'm, you know, I'm here. Uh, you know, he said, LD, Larry Drew allowed me to, you know, come on and help him out, you know, and, and get some experience and this, that, and the other. And, and we had a brief conversation, but it, he's one of those players who I uh, who I always used to have conversations with about this very thing, about the, the fabric of a young team and just how you how you go and – from from that level, you know, when you got a group of young guys and you're trying to get them, turn them into a winning team, and how you go about doing that without some of the uh, bells and whistles that you might have at certain franchises. You know, not everybody is going to spin like the Lakers spend, or you know, whatever. You know, you pick a, one of the franchises that's known for for going about their business a certain way. To me, Philadelphia is one of those franchises that really had to take a long, hard look at how they kind of go from from the bottom of the pack in the East to be in a playoff team. And they took that first step last year, um, you know, making the postseason and with this group. They're going to take another step, it looks like, this year. Uh, and, and I know you, Micah, and, and you as well, Lang, know about this better than anybody having watched the steps that, <laughs> that the, you know, that the Hawks took here. It's, to me, that's always the most interesting dynamic about a team in a franchise is just how do they get from point A to point B and, you know, what are the casualties? What are the bumps in the road? I think, to me, Indiana is a place where that's going to – you know, they're going through that same process yeah. right now. Um, Lang, yeah, I know I, you spent a ton of time in Oklahoma City and the process they had to go through. What's it, would you? I mean, what have you noticed when you I, I see I think that? there's two ways to do it. You can either kind of do it organically, like, yeah. like Indiana's done and Philly's done and Atlanta's done. Right. Or you can – kind of leverage things and, and mortgage the future and try to get better immediately like like Miami did and Boston yeah. did a couple of years ago and um through through the trade markets that way I I, I think as a fan um it's it's <laughs> test your patience <laughs> but it's fun to watch it's really fun to, to to when it finally pays off and when your team becomes um a contender or one of those teams that's on TNT and, and on prime time, yeah. that's when it becomes fun, but it, it's, it, it's definitely not easy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I think, and especially from a organizational standpoint, you have to have a real uh, commitment to, to patience and not, you know, I'm sure it's easy to sit there and go, uh, okay, this isn't going to work. Let's just trade these guys and try to get better. And, and that kind of becomes a, a drain, I think, on your franchise. You can't sustain anything long term. But if you do it this way, and you got to, and you and I have talked about the sacred, you can do it this way. But you have to be almost perfect with your draft right. picks, with your contracts, all that stuff. And I think Atlanta, Philly, and Indiana are three teams who've done it the right way and and done it correctly. Yeah. That's- well, and it's funny to think about it when you think about the Sixers as well, because you look at Elton Brand, who's a guy that. Pretty much everybody was saying, "Well, that's one of the worst free agent signings in the you know last several years." But all of a sudden, he's kind of fit into this role of sort of the elder statesman, and you know whether he's living up to the the dollars of the contract, he's still certainly making an impact. Yeah, uh, I think you have almost have to have one of those, don't you? You have to have at least one veteran deal on you know in that process that everybody kind of goes, "Huh?" But you know, Brand's value to that team uh, is probably not being, you know, weighted properly when you look at his salary. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those deals where right. the, the leadership qualities and, and kind of the behind-the-scenes things that he probably brings to that group are, are are much greater than than people are giving him credit for, which that's what that's what the season pros in this league do, I, I you, think. You kind of need an OG. <laughs> well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you need absolutely. that guy who's been around and yep. – and um, doesn't have to listen to anyone else because he because he's been there. It's kind of funny also that we're talking about Elton Brand as the elder statesman. That makes, <laughs> makes makes me feel old. Makes us all feel a little bit older than we want to probably. <laughs> but uh, interesting team. Like I said, I, I just think it's an interesting team to keep an eye on uh, going forward. And I'll be curious to see where they finish, you know, in the regular season and whether or not they can get in the postseason and and make some noise. Um, Lang, before before we uh, switch gears completely. 
I know you talk to a ton of people on Twitter and Facebook uh, and those, you know, all the social media outlets about uh, the podcast and various other things. I got to tell you, and I forwarded you this email, uh, I think a couple weeks ago, from a guy named Matthias Iverson, um, a Swedish guy who's who's digging into the podcast. He is definitely uh, checking the podcast out. And he and I have started a, a dialogue. He told me his brother, his little brother, is not you know, on board with the NBA yet. So it's up to us. You know, he told me that it's just, we have to convince his little brother. And his brother's <laughs> name is Magnus Iverson. And I told I him he's got a great last he name. He's got a great last name for basketball. I thought you were going to say his little brother's name, Alan. No. <laughs> but he said his little brother, Magnus Iverson, over in Sweden, is not 100% on board uh, with the NBA and, and with the Hangtime Podcast. So this is our this is our shout-out to you, Magnus. We, we're trying to get you in the fold. We're trying to make sure you – you understand the passion behind this game. So you need to listen every week to the Hangtime Podcast. It's going to be tough, guys, because I'm just saying a name like that, I'm pretty sure he's way into the world's strongest man competition. <laughs> I can see that. I got, I got, I got Swedish peoples. So yes, yes. Uh, I think uh, Magnus and I should have a lot in common. <laughs> um, I don't know how young he is, but uh, you know, ho- hopefully he's old enough to, to stay up late at night and watch these games uh, from over there. Because those games, because the NBA games here are middle of the night over there. Exactly. All of them. So it takes some doing to watch the NBA there and keep up with it. But it's easier than ever to be a worldwide fan of the NBA. So uh, I say hello to the Iversons. Maybe this is our chance to finally get an Iverson on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, listen, if, and if nothing else, we're, we're going to get our next guest to uh, pony up for, for the Iversons to, to have league pass over there. Um, <laughs> John Schumann, NBA.com's uh, resident numbers guru, the the man behind the GM survey and all sorts of other things, is joining us now. Um, and Shu, I know you've been up a long time because uh, I've been we've been tweeting back and forth all day today. But uh, how are you? First and foremost, I haven't talked to you technically uh, today, and uh, and what's and, and what's going on out there in in the uh, tri-state area? I'm good. I'm good. I got a, a choice of three games tonight, so I'm uh, excited for that. We have games in Philly, Jersey, and New York. So which, one you, gonna, which one are you going to? I think I'm going to Suns Knicks. Yeah, I'm thinking about swinging by there. Interesting. Maybe, maybe you can uh, buy me a league pass over there. <laughs> <laughs> I so, give no free handouts. <laughs> Shoot, what uh, – before we – I mean, and we want to talk to you about several things, obviously, but – um, I know you did the GM survey that, that's on NBA.com and has been tweeted around by lots of people. Some people tweeted the link. Some did not. I won't mention any names. But <laughs> they know who they are. I'll call you out there. If you're going to if you're gonna tweet 12 times about the GM survey, please provide a link at least once. Please. Thank they, you. They know exactly who they are. What uh, – what you what'd you get from from the GA survey this year, man? What did you uh, what what would you take away from it this year compared to last year's, or maybe not compared to them, just in general? Uh, the one thing I, I took away is maybe that Kobe's losing is, you know losing his grip on a couple of the categories that he's owned for the past six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know he's uh, lost his grip a little bit on the. I mean he he won this category best shooting guard. He won and he won the shot with the game on the line category again. But, uh, you know, his, his percentages went down in both, you know, Dwayne Wade catching up in the best shooting guard uh, category, and Kevin Durant uh, was right there sort of neck and neck with him in the uh, game on the line category. But then he did he did pick up an extra category that he won this year that he hasn't in the past, and that was the toughest player huh. uh, category. And I don't think I can argue with that. With uh, with the injuries he plays through, and 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 uh, so that 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 category went to his teammate, uh, Meta World Peace last year, but uh, Meta didn't uh, get any votes in that category this year. John, so, one of the uh, questions I was wondering is when did you when did they do this survey? When were the GMs? Ask these it questions. Was sent out shortly after the season started. Usually, we do it during training camp. Right. Uh, but obviously that wasn't possible this year. Um, so we sent it out uh, shortly after the season started, and they had a couple of weeks to fill it out. 
Okay. Uh, and then we sort of, you know, put it up as, as, as shortly after we got all the uh, all the results in. Because Miami got was which team will win the Eastern Conference? And Miami got ninety six point three percent of the vote. <laughs> <Yep. laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know if that was a little bit of a reaction to their fast start, or or if that's you know more recently people still see they struggled a little bit lately, but people still see that that that's the team to beat. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I, I was thinking about that as I was, you know, I was putting together the results, and I didn't really see. I mean, I guess with the breakout player uh, category, you saw some of the early season stuff leak into the uh, leak into the answers. Maybe with Philadelphia getting some votes to win the Atlantic Division, I don't know if they would have got nearly as many votes to win the Atlantic Division had the had it you know that had it taken place before the season started. Um, but I, I don't I don't necessarily I didn't necessarily see Miami's dominance as um, as having you know anything to do with the early season results i thought i imagine that that would have happened anyway i mean right. just the way i mean they they kind of crushed chicago in the eastern conference finals last year and um you know there's no reason to believe they can't do it again they added shane battier i mean what else you know yeah i think they uh, i've thought all along that they were gonna be by far the most dominant team this year shoot the uh the conversation about you know who who's the the best player and who's going to be the MVP. I mean that's that's something that certainly fans and and guys who cover the league always debate. Uh, are you, does it does it strike you at all the way the the GMs weigh in on that, or is it do you think it it mirrors basically what the public sentiment is about who you know who's who should be included in that conversation? I think it's similar. The one thing it always is—it's always a little reactionary. I, I mean, we've—I mean, I've been had my hand on this GM survey for several years now, and yeah. it's always what happened last year really affects. Like you would see when the Lakers won the championship the year before, Phil Jackson would get all the coaching votes. When the Spurs won the championship the year before, Greg Popovich would get all the, the coaching votes. I mean, so it's very—it's a little bit reactionary in that way. Um, and then, yeah, I think it, it, for the most part, they follow, you know, the uh, what, what, you know, sort of the conventional wisdom. Um, but then there's always some interesting answers here and there, you know, and you you get uh, a couple of things that sort of make you guys, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing. I never thought of it that way, but that's an interesting pick for that. And then there's some that just make me shake my head and, and wonder how how some guys are pick certain people or how certain people or how certain players are left off the list. Like the one, the big beef that I've seen on, on Twitter and a lot is, is how Lou Dang and Andre Iguodala were left off the list for best perimeter defender. And I don't really have an explanation for that. <laughs> so do you, are you the one person who actually knows how the voting went, which GMs voted yeah. for who? <laughs> I'm okay. the one and only. So. All right. It's dangerous. <laughs> I, I didn't know if you'd even want to admit that, but okay. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's dangerous because uh, there's probably some stuff on that survey, and I know you can't tell us, certainly not here on the podcast, but there has to be some head scratching <laughs> stuff that comes in that I'm sure you would love to tweet, but know that it would probably <laughs> it would probably mean you'd never get a, a survey returned again from certain GMs. Yeah, yeah. No, I keep everything uh, keep everything secret. <laughs> Which show's answer was Michael Jordan telling the question? <laughs> we shoot the the uh, Olympic the the finalists for the Olympic team uh, were revealed earlier this week, and uh, I've seen some reactions. You know, people were asking about. You know, where's Amari? Where's where's Steph Curry? The the twenty names and Lang. I mean, I, I, I certainly need you to you know tell me what you think as well. But uh, the twenty names that that were on that list, the twenty you expected, the twenty that you think should be, the you know that pool that that we choose from for the guys who will play on the Olympic team in London this summer. The only the only real little surprise that I thought was not on the list was Curry. Um, um. But I don't see anybody on there that I would take off in his favor. Um, you know, Phillips is just with his age and how he's sort of lost his effectiveness over the last couple of years. You could 
say, but, you know, obviously they like that, that veteran leadership and, you know, they love that he, as a veteran, was, one of, you know, one of the only veterans on that 2010 team. And that's, this is sort of a, a reward for that. And he has said that, you know, he wants to be on this team. So I think they, you know, they, they want to keep him, keep him on the board and, 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 and not burn any bridges there. Um, so I, I think that the 20, uh, it's pretty much what I expected. Um, you know, Curry and Danny Granger were the only two left off from 2010, and, and Granger I don't think was a surprise. He was oh. sort of the 12th man on that roster. And then the four guys that were left off from the 08 roster, you know, that wasn't uh, any surprise. It was Prince, Kid, Boozer, and Red. None of those guys was, was a surprise that, you know, that oh. they're not on the list. I was a little bit surprised that um, just with the way he started this season and hasn't played very well, Lamar Odom was still involved. I know he fits well internationally. Was that at all surprising to you, John, that he's still around? No, I thought he was one of their more important players in 2010. I mean, I don't think he's um, – if you've got, you know, Dwight and Bosch um, and a couple of other big guys on the list, I don't think you really need Lamar Odom, but I still think – he should be on the on the on the larger list just because right. he, he was. I think he was one of the more important players uh, in 2010. Um, so I, I don't see him making the final roster, but I, I think uh, he was worthy of keeping around. Right. Well, John, I guess the the toughest thing, you know, the toughest part of that process, I guess, remains obviously for Jerry Colangelo and Mike Shashevsky. Uh, getting it down to the the final group that they're gonna take over and play with uh, in London. Do you what do you what do you do when you know if a healthy Kobe Bryant says you know I got to be there and maybe some of these younger guys who are who are gonna have huge seasons you know um, a Kevin Love or whoever might have a, a a monster season and you're gonna end up having you know leave somebody off the list who probably is is really deserving. Is that just part of this process when you're dealing with, you know, when you're dealing with 20 of the be- very best players that that we have to offer? Or do you do you think this is a deal where somebody may have to suck it up this year and not go and, and because you know they have a chance to go later, um, you know, maybe in the, the next time around? And, I'm, and I guess Kobe is a bad choice. Maybe a guy like Chauncey is more reasonable to, to bring up when you got all these other young point guards. Uh, who could yeah. potentially go? Yeah, I think that's the case. I mean, Chauncey will be an interesting one because you know just the way you know I, I said it. He, he he really wanted to be you know when we talked to him in 2010, he 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 really wanted to be uh, here again in in 2012. Yet it doesn't you know if you're just looking at the point guards, you would think that he, you got to leave him off the list. So mm-hmm. he'll be an interesting case. I think Kobe, I think, is obvious, obviously going to be playing and will be starting as long as he's he's up for it. And I don't, I can't imagine him saying no. Um, if he's playing, you know, through a bum wrist right now, and I don't think he's going to pass up the Olympics uh, to get surgery early. Um, but I think the the twelve cutting this list from twenty to twelve is pretty straightforward. I mean, I've looked at it and I I, I see exactly where what the way I think the team will be as long as everybody's healthy and nobody backs out at the last minute after a long playoff run well so go I, ahead I'll, and do go ahead and do that yeah, tell us you. what are you <laughs> wasting right. our time with colangelo and mike shashevsky for <laughs> all right well I, I think i think the eight guys from 2008 will all be back mm-hmm. that, that's my first i think that's my first um that's where you start mm-hmm. um the only ones that might not make it i would say are one darren williams um but you know if i'm putting this this, this team together next summer. I want to see him start to shoot a little bit better, just from the way he's played. You know, he's played pretty poorly mm-hmm. uh, so far this season. So I want to see him sort of rebound from this ugly start. I think Mello is uh, the only other one that I might consider not taking. But I, I, I think basically you take all eight of those guys mm-hmm. from 2008, and then it's a matter of replacing the other four guys. And I think. First thing, and the obvious one is you replace Tayshawn Prince with Kevin Durant, um, you, and you replace Jason Kidd with Derrick Rose. I think those are the two easy ones. And then you have Boozer and Red. So I would replace Boozer with either Kevin Love or Tyson Chandler, 
depending on what you're looking for. If you want that length and the defense, you take Tyson. If you want an, uh, another big guy who can stretch the floor, you take Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. And then you replace Michael Red with either Russell Westbrook or Andre Iguodala. And so my question is, Blake. no Blake Griffin? No, I would not right now. I, I just don't, like, if I'm comparing him with Kevin Love, I would take Love in a heartbeat over right. for, for for international game just because he's more skilled um can definitely shoot a lot better than than griffin yeah. can. and i mean you definitely you have to put griffin on your on your your larger list just so you know you have him in the fold and and when he you know maybe refines his game a little bit more becomes a better defender in in two or three years then yes you've got this you know he's got this freak of nature on your side but out right now in 2012, I would take I would take Kevin Love over Blake Griffin. Um, and and then like at the guards, I think Westbrook and Iguodala were both you know critical pieces uh, to, in 2010. And so I would definitely they they would be my the, my choice uh, to replace Michael Red. John, it's probably just sort of picking nits at this point, considering how well the U.S. teams have performed in the last you know couple international tournaments, but. Do you worry at all about the the kind of I mean getting back into the lack of outside shooting prowess with with some of these guys? Uh, not with Kevin Durant. I mean, and and with Kobe and uh, you know I think they'll be fine. And Chris Paul is you know a good shooter. I mean Rose. I mean who 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 in this list is really going to hurt you? You know if if they're left open, Derrick Rose maybe. You know LeBron maybe. You know Dwight Howard obviously isn't going to be standing out on the perimeter at any point. Um, and then you have, like, Bosch backing up Dwight, uh, and he can shoot. So I, I think they're fine as far as outside shooting. Um, the only worry they might have is, is size and, and, and uh, keeping, like, the Gasol brothers off the boards against Spain. And, you know, Spain has even, you know, some, some decent bigs beyond those two guys. I don't know. I I'm gonna I'm gonna get uh, Mike Shashevsky or Colangelo on the podcast next week to dispute shoes picks. I just wanna see what they'll say. What do you got? What do you got? What do you got beef with then, Seku? I don't have any beef with it. I'm just saying. I'd, no, no, I'm just problem with Westbrook, Iguodala, Love. No, 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 no. I'm I'm sure there'll there'll be a lot of people that base, and this is the difference shoe between a guy who's been over there and and covered the international game like you have and understands what's needed on that team and I think the general public is they're going to look at it and go well this guy had a great season he's supposed to be on the team you know not realizing how they might fit in that dynamic you know in in, in that specific competition and what what might be needed so um, yeah I mean you go back to 2010 there was a lot of outcry about Rondo exactly you know not making not making the team um, but obviously he's a tough guy to pick for international, just because he can't shoot, um, can't shoot free throws. I mean, he was. Right. I mean, in the in the exhibition games where he played, you know, he was a, a you know he's a pest defensively, so that could be a good thing. And that's right. But they got that from Westbrook. I mean, that's the one thing about Westbrook is he was a totally different player in those in the World Championship in 2010 than you see him playing. Uh, you know, for the Thunder. I mean, he was a real pest defensively, got in the, the passing lanes, got picked up lots of def- deflections and steals. And then on the boards, he was a beast on the boards. He was a 6'3 guy who was out jumping, you know, all these huge guys for Turkey. I mean, I remember in the gold medal game, there was one point where Turkey had four guys that were 6'10 or taller. So they basically had Hidu playing at the two, uh, two huge forwards, and then either a Sheik or a semi and I forget playing center, and Westbrook was out-rebounding these guys just with his effort and his athleticism. Right. Um, and so he was, like I said with Odom, he was one of the most important guys on that team. It's hard to, like if you were ranking the 2010 team, obviously you put Durant number one, but as far as how important those guys were, you had Rose, Westbrook, Odom, and Iguodala were all right there, all to claim as, you know, claim a spot as like that's their second most important player in 2010. Iguodala obviously brought the the defense and was a you know shut down Linus Claza in the semifinals and and was the you know was the goat was the defender. Um, 
but all those guys played big roles beyond uh, Durant. No, that's, that's um, like I said. Uh, I'm gonna bring. We're gonna. Mike is gonna work his <laughs> magic and get uh, and get Coach K. I know Coach K is busy, so maybe maybe it's Colangelo, but he's gonna work his magic and get one of them on just to just to have him fact check the fact checkers list. That's all. I mean, it's, it's all good. <laughs> Mr. Colangelo, do you follow John Schumann on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> no man, we we're, we're giving you the business as always, shoe man. We appreciate you, you know that. Uh, before Mr. we let him, who is your least favorite? <laughs> before, before we let you get out of here, Micah, uh, make sure that we have shoes. You know, right information because after Colangelo gets a hold of him, I don't I don't want him disappearing. <laughs> I've got a home address. I've got a Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what did I do wrong? Did I, did I dismiss Blake Griffin too much? Just throw him back into the pile for 2016 and, and say, you know, good luck next year. No, I'm just, Blake. I'm sure there'll be some people that are fired up about it. But um, you know, I, the one thing with Blake is, I, he but, reminds me of the way Barkley was so successful playing internationally. Um, I mean, you remember he led the original Dream Team in scoring right, right. and kind of surprised everyone. And I don't know if Blake has that kind of unique combination of crazy athleticism and size that he could kind of just wreak havoc through the paint and uh, in in transition in the, in international play. Yeah, I, don't, I, I just didn't feel like he worked the he, the way he plays so hard. He would be a benefit yeah. to that team, but you don't know. I mean, you don't know. It's a it's the you're weighing. I think and and shoot, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I mean, you're always I guess weighing somebody's specific skill set against whether or not. The things that make him a great NBA player will translate to an international competition. Yeah, plus with bigs, you got to remember that that your starting lineup's probably going to be uh, Durant and LeBron at the forward spot. Yeah, and you know, in in oh eight, oh six, oh seven, oh eight, Carmelo was the starting four. I mm-hmm. mean, so the only you only need three bigs basically because LeBron is is six eight and two two hundred sixty whatever pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's your four, right. basically. Right. And and he could probably handle his own against you know one of the Gasol guys, brothers. But um, this guy's already got so, the final set. Look at it; he's already got the gold medal game set. Lang, get Colangelo on the phone, Mike. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to get Colangelo. You need all the the fans of Argentina and uh, <laughs> and Greece or whatever. Not Greece, but uh, a couple of these other teams that are gonna. I have, have problems with me picking you know, <laughs> already. No, we're giving you the business, man. Listen, Shu, um, uh, certainly appreciate you taking some time out for us, man, always on the podcast here. Um, and we, and we'll, uh, we're will we going to call you again in a couple weeks and get you fired up about something else, see if we can't get you in some more trouble. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good, fellas. I'll talk to you. All right, boys. Take care, John. All right. Later. No, he, he made some great points, though, about that. How you got to select that roster, Lang? Yeah, totally. You know I mean, we're giving them the business, but it was just all—it's all in fun. Obviously, uh, she was a colleague here and a, and a and a good friend of all of ours, so we're gonna give him the business when he's on the podcast here. Um, I don't want to be too much of a Texas Homer, but would oh, you you're consider a Texas Homer? Let's just Lamarcus get that out of Aldridge way. over Chris Bosh at all. Uh, I, I think you can make you know pro and con arguments about all those guys, but you know Bosh has the experience. You know, playing with these other guys that uh, that Lamarcus maybe doesn't have, so I think there'd be a lot of people that would. That yeah, that would be my thought too. Is that Bosch might be a little more used to sort of filling a role than Aldridge would be, um, just because he's had to do that the last two years. Um, but all, yeah, to your point, Sigurd, that's that's you know he's used to playing with Wade and LeBron, yeah, which which goes a long way uh, playing internationally. Also, the like the kind of what John was hitting on is, is you figure how do they make what's important with that roster? What do they need? Um, I love the way Aldridge kind of is a great baseline guy and then hits those little jumpers and um, can kind of stretch out a little bit. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be something they need or if they're going to need a Bosch who can uh, and just say, Hey, we just want you to do nothing but get rebounds um, and stretch the floor a little bit. Uh, so I, I don't, I think it kind of depends what you got and, and what you got to work with, and then you go from there. Yes, yes. I would tell you this. I would love to be uh, locked in that room when they're deliberating and trying to figure out who 
you know, who makes it and who doesn't because how many times in in the life of any basketball executive do you get yeah. to go, mm, do we take Blake Griffin or do we, you know, or do we take <laughs> Kevin Love? I mean, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic argument and debate to have to, you know, have to conduct if you're if you're the folks at USA Basketball who are going to have a you talk about some expectations you think the you think the Heat have some big expectations you know some great expectations to deal with uh, during an NBA season how about how about the uh, 2012 Olympic team and the expect I mean they're going to be expected to win this thing yeah no matter what what group they take over there so um, just miss the days of having a, a token collegiate player on the uh, on the squad. I'm gonna tell you what. I'm not trying to be funny, but the the kid from Kentucky. After watching him last night, yeah, I wouldn't be mad if he was on the end of that bench. Now he is, whew, Davis, Anthony Davis. Man. Yeah, he can I, play. I am liking his game, man. I am liking everything about his game. But we don't want to get in trouble. We can't. We can't skip ahead that far to the. We'll save him for our draft <laughs> podcast. How about that? <laughs> uh, Action packed show as always. Um, you know, Saker, we were talking about arguing about players. Oh, uh, don't start. We should just close out with this, probably. Yeah. We did ask for it, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> well, you and I can argue about it, but it's almost more fun sometimes to listen to other people argue about it. Here's, yeah. uh, I think we have audio here. Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal, our Turner Sports colleagues. Um, they love to argue. Having a little argument. The White Howard is the best big man in the game. Chucky, Jesus. Listen, you need to stop that. You I'm need not. to. Hey, listen. I'm you need to let this Bible. Superman hatred go. I ain't got nothing to do with it. Hey, I ain't got nothing to do with it. Listen to me. Andrew Bottom is a true big man. Back you down, jump hook. The White Howard has one or two moves on the block. His one move is to run and jump hook, and the other move is to pick and roll, get it slammed. And Andrew Bottom has the right jump hook and the left jump hook. But he's a true big he's man. He's going to get the same number four. He's a much better defender and a much better rebounder. No way. I tell you what. No way. <laughs> I tell you he's what. A better athlete. Miss, Miss he's Cup, a better athlete. Miss, Miss Kupchak couldn't get to Look, the ball fast enough to do that deal. Down. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, that. <laughs> What's your take on that? I, Shaq was was using a very narrow definition yes. of a big man. Yeah, he's That's, got kind of should... the classic, old school. Uh, Will Chamberlain. Yes, type. definition of a of a big Back man. To the basket. Um, um, I mean, full disclosure. I I I, I recently uh, put up a blog post about this very same thing, using that the video from that. Uh, and kind of raising that question that, you know, Friday night uh, when the Lakers and Magic play uh, in Orlando is is the first chance we'll get to see if if Bynum truly belongs in the same breath with Dwight. Because I think if you look at historically the matchup over the course of their career so far, it's been tilted dramatically in Dwight's favor. Um, and that may have a lot to do with the fact that he was the focal point of his team, Bynum was not. Or however you want to slice it up, you know whatever their importance is to their respective teams. But I don't agree. I, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't agree with uh, the big fella this time, and the big fella being Shaq since Charles yeah. is losing all that weight. Um, I, I, I agree. I agree with you, and I think I, I, when when John was on earlier, Schumann, we were talking about the NBA GM survey. I was kind of reading through it, and Dwight Howard finished number one on a lot of those categories. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which player forces opposing coaches to make the most adjustments? Number one, Dwight Howard. Um, who's the best center in the NBA? Number one, Dwight Howard, 96.3% of the vote. Um, I think Dwight Howard's the best center in the NBA. Yeah, and I you know, I don't normally walk in, in, in lockstep with NBA general managers about a lot of things, uh, but they, I don't know how you could get, anoint somebody else uh, – as the best big man in the league ahead of Dwight right now. I mean, if there's a, to me, if there's any one position where there's a clear cut number one, like you can say best power forward, we could argue all day about it. You say the best shooting guard, not of all time, you know, or which one guys has the best career, but today, which one of these guys is the best? I think you have a healthy argument about it. Same for small forward, you know, point guard. Center is the one where it goes Dwight, and then you take a – three-second pause, and then go, and then Bynum. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think he's still 
trails Dwight by that much. Well, on that GM survey, the number two center wasn't even Bynum. It was it was Pau Gasol. Right, right. Which that's a, that's another. That's a whole. He's not even argument. the best center on the Lakers team. Exactly. <laughs> that's what some GM which, thinks. Which is another uh, argument entirely. Uh, I mean, when I was out when I was out in LA last week was when Kobe was talking about how Bynum had kind of surpassed uh, Pau as the number two option, like the guy you would go to on that team, and. Um, I don't know how much of that Kobe and the Lakers trying to give Bynum some confidence um, and make him feel like that's his spot to take. I don't know how much of that is is rooted in actual play so far. Right. Uh, if nothing else, I would take Dwight just because he's been more sturdy through the years than Bynum has been. Um, I mean, you look at Dwight, and there's a reason – they call it. They call him Superman because because <laughs> those shoulders. And the, you know, he's a guy who's going to give you forty minutes a night and come out there every night. And and he might not have a lot of post moves, but he's going to grab every rebound and and at least contest yeah. most shots that are down near the paint. And I think he makes your team a better defensive team. Um, well, I'm, so. I'm going to split some uh, some Jerry curled hairs for you right now about these two guys. Now, I will tell you this: I think if I'm talking about which one of these two is the more skilled offensively. I think Bynum has more to work with in terms of just offensive skill set, which is fine. But you don't play one end of the floor. And I think Dwight is by far the most dominant defensive player of the two, like not even close. And, and Bynum blocks – he blocks shots. He blocks, you know, nearly two, uh, two shots a night, I guess. But if you look at Dwight's rebounding and his shot blocking ability and the game-changing – presence he has like I I don't see teams shying away from going to the rim against the Lakers because Andrew Bynum's hanging out down there you've watched him Lang Michael you've seen it teams I've watched guys flat run to the other side of the floor to keep from Dwight batting that shot into the crowd it's yeah he has that kind of presence and I think that's to me what separates these two guys now is that Dwight has that presence Bynum is trying to get to the point where he has that and and as long as that's the case, I think there's still a gap between the two of them. I, I agree completely. I, and I think, you know, you hear coaches say the way you go after a big man is you attack the the rim and you try to draw fouls and except against Dwight Howard, because right. <laughs> no, no one Dwight's going to block the shot. Right. Um, and I think against the Lakers, that's one of the teams where you still want to try to get in the paint and, and score inside. And against Orlando, um, that five foot and in. Yeah. Sort of radius is is kind of off the table before the game even starts. <laughs> exactly. I feel like with centers, they just they always kind of measure them historically, not necessarily against their you know current uh, rivals. And you know, I think that's always sort of been the thing with Dwight. I mean, he got his team to the finals once, but he hasn't really been able to elevate you know his team to a, a title winner yet. And I feel like that's why he gets a lot of criticism. I guess. I mean, I, when you're the best, you're the best. You know what I mean? Like I. I don't know why he has to get a qualifier as the best big man in the league, you know. Um, when Shaq was the best big man in, in the NBA, the argument stopped there, you know. Yeah, but Shaq had rings. Even when, even when there were other more skilled offensive players, you know, per se, at the position. And there mm-hmm. were. I mean, there were. Shaq, Shaq was always the brute, you know, the big. And, and, and I'm not taking anything away from Shaq now. He's. <laughs> he gets to go up on the the Mount Rushmore of big men. But you know, I, I still when I I used to get emails from people when Shaq early in his career, and it was just, oh, he's just big. Oh, he does he dunk? Yeah, he yeah. doesn't have he doesn't have talent. He's just fat and he's big, and and that's why he's able to do whatever he wants inside, and he doesn't have any whatever. I mean, there's always going to be people who find some way to to troll you a little bit. Um, I, I, but I, I think you and I are on the same page here that uh, there's there's. Dwight Howard's the, the best center in the NBA right now. Big man, best big man. Best big use, man, yeah. That works to for use, me. To use their argument. That works for me. I did hear a funny – by the way, Kobe – we talked about Kobe and all that stuff earlier. Is there a better, uh, you know, antagonistic – fun-loving but antagonistic relationship anywhere going right now than, than Charles and Shaq on, on the inside? <laughs> I mean, Charles giving him the business on Saturday yeah. Night Live and Shaq, you know, going after. I mean, thank goodness. Thank goodness that happened is all I'll say. Um, 
<laughs> this is what sacred. That's what it's gonna be like in ten years when you and I are doing Saturday Night Live and when the Hangtime Podcast is taking over the, the exactly, media world. exactly. Well, any anyway, we'll we'll save our other arguments for uh, for next time, Lang, and um, send in arguments, people. Yes, bring bring it, bring it. But uh, want to thank our, our guest, certainly Kate Fagan of ESPN dot com. And uh, who is right now for ESPN after uh, doing some great work on the Deep Sixer blog on Philly.com. And then our very own John Schumann from NBA.com, the numbers guru who himself and expert on all things, joining us to uh, basically pick the uh, 2012 Olympic team. So the USA basketball honchos don't have to bother. It's already done. Just listen to what you had to say here on the podcast today. Guys, uh, let's try and find our way here again. Same time. Same place next week. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hang Time Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hang Time blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. <laughs>